please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we marvel at um, the words of Isaiah that we just sang, that he would look upon you, that you would allow yourself to be seen in all of your exalted majesty. And we know from your word that any time a man caught something of a glimpse of you, he was terrified and would cry out, woe to me. Lord, you are holy and we are not. You are good and we are not. And we draw near to you because you have revealed yourself to be a God of mercy who invites sinners to himself. You are accessible to us by your son, Jesus, through his finished work at the cross on our behalf. And so we come with confidence, not in ourselves, but in our great high priest, who right now is at your right hand, interceding for us. He is for us in your presence. What an amazing thought. Who are we? We humble ourselves and we pray you would bless our remembrance of your great son, our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We want to prepare our hearts now for the Lord's table. And we want to use the word of God to do that. John 8, verse 29. While you are turning to John 8, 29, I want to remind you of what 1 Corinthians 11 says. It, it is the primary teaching passage on the Lord's Supper. And it is so helpful for believers in Jesus Christ in at least two ways that great chapter is. First, believers are to remember Christ's body given in death for them. And believers are to remember Christ's blood shed for them at the cross to atone for their sins. And so the bread or the cracker for us reminds us of his body and the wine or the juice reminds us of his blood. And 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that when we do this remembrance, we proclaim his death until he comes for us. So 1 Corinthians 11 is helpful in making sure the focal point of the Lord's table for us is indeed the remembrance of Jesus' bodily death for the forgiveness of sins of the believer. But 1 Corinthians 11 also does something else to help us prepare for the remembrance of Christ, and that is this. The teaching and the instruction passage on the Lord's table that God selected to put into his word, it comes from a setting where believers in Corinth were actually careless about their sin and their practice of this remembrance. And so the instruction in that chapter is actually marked by an exhortation to examine yourself before you eat. Every time you turn to 1 Corinthians 11, that's what you read. And that was God's design throughout the ages for his church. Think on it. God did not lock into Scripture an affirmation of a church doing it right, but a church doing it not right. That was his choice, and so we try to do two things each time we take the Lord's Supper together. We remember Jesus' death for us. We want that to be the center of gravity for our hearts, but we also want to examine ourselves carefully in light of his death for us so that we can be pleasing to him. So in order to do that, 
Let's look at John chapter 8, verse 29. There is a staggering claim there that comes in two parts that is stated by Jesus. Look at verse 29. And he who sent me is with me, Jesus says. He has not left me alone. The staggering claim comes in two parts. It's stated in the positive and then it is stated in the negative. Who is this he who sent me? That is God the Father. God the Father in heaven sent his one-of-a-kind son to, make, uh, to take on human flesh, and he came to earth. He sent his son, Jesus, to be the promised Messiah and Redeemer. And Jesus said that the God and Father who sent Jesus is with Jesus. That's really a staggering claim in the positive concerning his life and ministry and union with his father. The God who sent him from heaven is uniquely with him on earth in his life and in his ministry. And then Jesus stated that staggering claim in, with a negative. He says, he has not left me alone. Jesus is not off on his own. Jesus has not gone rogue in any way. And the Father is not detached from the Son. He's not disconnected from the Son. He's not disinterested in the Son. He is fully engaged with the Son in his life and ministry. And the basis for this unbroken fellowship and intimate union and partnership is given in verse 29. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. That is how the Father can be fully engaged with his Son. Jesus pleases him. And not sometimes, and not most of the time, but always Jesus pleases the Father. Every thought, every word, every attitude he ever had, every desire, every deed, every relationship he ever formed was only ever pleasing to the Father. So here again, this staggering claim. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Intimate, unbroken, indissoluble fellowship and partnership in his life and ministry with the Father. What was the effect of that staggering fellowship and partnership? Verse 30, as he spoke these things Many came to believe him. And that is the question for you this morning is, do you believe the Lord Jesus? This one. Jesus was much more than a good man. He was much more than a good teacher. Don't ever lower him to such a lowly place. Jesus was not a man trying to be his best and do good. Rather, he was the only God, he is the only God who ever in eternity past, only ever experienced intimate pleasure with his Father, always pleasing him then in eternity past. He just happened to take on flesh and continued to do the same thing. Do you believe this one? But scripture calls you to believe even more about this one. The father who was only ever pleased with his son and who never left him alone in life is no longer pleased with his son once he is on the cross. Why? On the cross, the father is no longer with the son. Why has the father now left his son to himself on the cross? 
When the son cries out for his father on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is there now no reply? Because every one of your sinful, displeasing thoughts and words and attitudes and deeds and desires is now upon the son, believer, the innocent substitute. Jesus on the cross is now the sin bearer on the cross who had to receive the full, eternal, and righteous wrath of God toward you. This had to happen to satisfy God's justice. This had to happen to move you, believer, into the category of favor that his son always enjoyed with him, but that he lost on the cross. So there was once intimate fellowship between the Father and the Son, and now on the cross, ruptured fellowship. All so that you could be saved. You must believe not just the unbroken fellowship that the Father and Son enjoyed in his life and ministry. Jesus was God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. But you must also believe their ruptured fellowship on the cross because Jesus is the only sin bearer for sinners. And the question is, do you believe this also? If by your own admission this morning you do not believe this about the Father and about Jesus, his Son, if, if you know you are not entrusting yourself to this God for forgiveness of your sins committed against a holy God, then... This remembrance is something to let pass by this morning. A tray will come by, it'll have a cracker, and it'll have a little juice there. Just let it pass you by. You must trust him to save you before you try to commune with him in communion. Instead, use this time to think carefully about who Jesus is. Think about his staggering relationship with his father. Think carefully about what he endured at the cross to save sinners. Consider your need for him, the Savior. Consider what it will cost you eternally if you do not. He is your only hope to bear away the eternal wrath of God that you have earned by sinning against God. Believer, remember this one who lived as he did and who died as he did for you. And then let John 8, 31 help you examine yourself. Look at it. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. True disciples who believe in the intimate fellowship that Jesus had with the Father and who believe the ruptured fellowship between them at the cross and who now even believe in the resurrected fellowship between them those are the ones who must press on in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, are you continuing in his word? Are you pressing on in your obedience? Do you know where you have been faint-hearted and weak as of late in your obedience? Do you know where you have been faltering? Are you aware of any stubbornness of heart that you might have? I plead with you to draw near to this one and think on the beauty and the power of their fellowship together, the Lord Jesus and his Father, 
because your salvation rests in that fellowship. Confess your sin. Forsake it. Remember the Lord Jesus. Rest in his death on your behalf and rejoice. The men will come and give you the bread and the cup. When you are ready, you can take it on your own and I will come and close our time in prayer.